ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we'll continue with the book كن سلفيا على الجاد last time we were discussing منهج السلف العقيده and we spoke about some of the different principles that the Salaf had in terms of understanding Aqeedah, in terms of understanding the principles of Aqeedah. And we mentioned six of those. One of them was, or the first of them that we mentioned, was حَصْرُهُمْ مَصْدَرَ التَّلَقِّي فِي بَابِ الْإِعْتِقَادِ عَلَى كِتَابِ اللَّهِ وَسُنَّةِ رَسُولِهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم وَفَهْمِهِمْ لِلنُّسُوسِ عَلَى ضَوْءِ فَهْمِ سَلَفِ صَالِحِ That they would restrict the source of knowledge in terms of aqidah, where you receive your knowledge from, to the book of Allah and the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, and they would understand those texts upon the light of the understanding of the salaf, i.e. in terms of the understanding of the salaf of those texts. Secondly, احتجاجهم بسنة الصحيحة في العقيدة وسواء كانت هذه سنة الصحيحة متواترة أم أحادة Secondly, that they use the authentic sunnah as an evidence in the aqidah. Whether those ahadith are mutawatir, narrated by multiple narrators in the levels of the chain, or uh, single narrations, one or two or perhaps three only. So every hadith which is authentic in that way, in either way, then they use those ahadith to establish and derive the aqidah from. Thirdly, at-taslim bima jaa bihi al-wahi, wa'adam raddihi bil-aql. وعدم الخوض في الأمور الغيبية التي لا مجال للعقل فيها. That you must submit to that which the revelation has come with, and not to refute that or reject that with your intellects, and neither to engage in discussions and conversations and debates over the affairs of the unseen, where there is no uh, entry point for the intellect. There is no space for the intellect to get involved in those affairs because they are from the unseen. Fourth, عدم الخوض في علم الكلام والفلسفة That you don't engage yourself in discussions and debates and uh, argumentation with regards to philosophy and that type of speech which revolves around the philosophical types of speech. رفض التأويل الباطل The fifth one, to reject the false interpretations of the Quran and the Sunnah. And we spoke about that with regards to the names and attributes of Allah and how some of the people, they make their own interpretations which are against the authentic meanings of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Sixth, الْجَمْعُ بَيْنَ النُّسُوسِ فِي الْمَسْأَلَةِ الْوَاحِدَةِ That you must combine between all of the texts in a particular issue to come to the correct conclusion in that issue. It's not possible to use only certain texts, certain ayat, certain ahadith, and abandon and neglect the other ahadith and the other texts in that particular issue and then try to come to a conclusion. Because then your conclusion will be incorrect. But for a person to come to a correct conclusion, then you need to combine and use all of the evidences together. But the people of innovation, what do they do? They come and they choose one here, and they choose one there, which supports them, and they'll use those as evidences. And as for all of the other evidences, they'll ignore them. But Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, then we take all of the evidences together, and we understand all of the ayat and the ahadith relevant to an issue together to come out with the correct conclusion. 
That was Manhaj Salaf. Now, Manhaj Ahl al-Bid'i wal-Ahwa. The opposite. That was the methodology of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa His companions, radiyallahu anhum, and the Salaf and those who came after them. All those individuals who followed them upon that righteousness. The aqeedah of Ahl sunnah wal-Jama'ah. Now though we look at the methodology of Ahlul Bid'i wal-Ahwa, the people of innovation and desires, تَقَدَّمَ ذِكْرُ مَنْهَجِ السَّلَفِ الْعَقِيدَةِ وَأَهَمُّ مُمَيِّزَاتِهِ وَأَنَّ أَهَمَّ مَا يُمَيِّزُ الْمَنْهَجِ السَّلَفِ فِي الْعَقِيدَةِ هُوَ حَصْرُ التَّلَقِّ فِي كِتَابِ اللَّهِ وَسُنَّةِ رَسُولِهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم وَأَنْ يَكُونَ ذَلِكَ مُقَيَّدًا بِفَهْمِ السَّلَفِ الصالح. Shaykh says that we've already mentioned now the aqidah of the salaf and from the most important distinguishing factors of the methodology of the salaf is that the sources of knowledge are restricted to the book of Allah and the sunnah and that is then restricted to being upon the methodology of the salaf, their understanding. That is one of the key factors that distinguishes the methodology of the salaf from the other methodologies, from the methodologies of the people of innovation and desires. That the Salaf, they restrict their knowledge to the Qur'an and the Sunnah upon the understanding of the Salaf, of the companions and those who came after them. وَعَلَى الْعَقْسِ وَعَلَى الْعَقْسِ مِنْ ذَلِكَ مَنْهَجُ أَهْلِ الْأَهْوَاءِ وَالْبِدَعِ فَإِنَّ مَسْدَرَ التَّلَقِّي عِنْدَهُمْ لَيْسَ الْكِتَابُ وَالسُنَّةِ وَإِنَّمَا هُوَ مَبْتَدَعَهُ أَئِمَّتُهُمْ وَشَيُوخُهُمْ ثُمَّ تَأْوِيلُ الْكِتَابِ وَالسُنَّةِ إِلَى مَا يُوَافِقُ أَهْوَاءَهُمْ As for the people of innovation and desires, then they are opposite to that. They are opposite to the methodology of the Salaf. Because for them, their source of knowledge is not restricted to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Their source of knowledge is not the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Rather, it is the innovations that their scholars make for them the innovations that their leaders bring about for them, the interpretations of the Qur'an and the Sunnah that they bring to them. So with the people of innovation, it's the opposite. They will decide on what their aqidah should be via their shiyukh, via their scholars and their leaders and their teachers. They will decide via their intellects what their aqidah should be. Then after that, they will search the Qur'an and the Sunnah to try to find evidences to back up the position that they have already come to. They will come to a position, they will come to a stance, they will decide on that, then they will go and try and find some evidence to back themselves up. Whereas the Salaf, they find the evidences, they see the evidences, they look at the evidences, and then they decide upon their stance or they come to their stance based upon the evidences. So you can see how it's completely opposite. The Salaf, they only make their positions and their understandings and their aqidah based upon what they see in the texts. They don't have any position until they see the evidence in the texts. But the people of innovation, they take a position already. They decide what their aqidah is going to be. Then they go to the Qur'an and the Sunnah and try to find some evidence to back themselves up. So you can see how their methodology is backwards. It's backwards. It doesn't start from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. It starts from themselves and their intellects. And then they go back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah to try to find evidence to back themselves up. And so that's what the Shaykh says here. 
ثم تأويل الكتاب أو السنة إلى ما يوافق أهواءهم. So they will interpret the Quran and the Sunnah in a way which is in conformity and in agreement to their desires. وَاعْتِمَادُهُمْ عَلَى الْعَقَلِ And they depend upon their intellects. They think their intellects are more powerful. That's why they used to say, تَقْدِيمُ الْعَقَلِ عَلَى النَّقَلِ Or it is said about them, that they would give precedence to their intellects, give priority to their intellects, to or over and above the Qur'an and the Sunnah. So when they came across some texts or some ayat, if their intellects couldn't understand, how could that be? How could this make sense? They can't make sense of it. Then they would give their intellects priority and reject or misinterpret or alter the meanings of the texts so that they would then be in agreement and in conformity to what their intellects were telling them. وَعَلَى الْأَحَدِيثِ الضَّعِيفَةِ الْوَاهِيَةِ الْمَكْذُوبَةِ Also, they depend upon the weak and fabricated narrations. The weak and fabricated narrations. That is one of the signs or one of the uh, styles of the people of innovation. Often you see that the stances they take, the positions they come to, the methodology they arrive at, it is based upon weak or fabricated narrations at times. And that is common. Now when you speak to some of these people, they say, of course there is evidence you can do this and you can do that. Of course there is evidence you can turn the lights off and sit in a circle and roll your heads, etc., etc. They'll say there's evidence for all of these things. There are ahadith, there are narrations. So you ask them for these ahadith, these narrations, and they'll bring you some text, some narration, and if you investigate, you'll find that this narration is completely false. It is fabricated in the first place, not even an authentic narration, or that it is something extremely weak, and the scholars do not use it as an evidence. Often you find the people of innovation falling into that, that they bake or they make their stances upon these weak and fabricated narrations. وَاتِّبَاعُهُمْ لِلْمُتَشَابِهِ This is another one. So far we've seen that they do not restrict their knowledge to be taken from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Rather, they give their intellects precedence. We've also seen that they will then misinterpret the Qur'an and the Sunnah to match what their intellect tells them. We've also seen that they will use weak and fabricated narrations. And the fourth thing is that they will follow the mutashabih. The mutashabih, we know that in the Qur'an Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that some of the verses, minhu ayatun mutashabihat, some of them are mutashabihat. What is that? Scholars have said the Qur'an, all of it is clear. All of it is clear. Muhkamat, hunna umbul kitab. The muhkamat are the clear verses of the Qur'an and they do not hold except one clear meaning. They are the muhkamat. The mutashabihat are those verses that are still clear in their meanings. The Qur'an in of itself isn't mutashabih. The Qur'an in of itself isn't mutashabih. As some of the scholars have said, the reason why the verses have been termed as muhkamat, clear, and mutashabih, may be ambiguous and they could have multiple meanings, is from the perspective of the person. Some of the scholars, they explain it in this way. That the person himself, when he reads the Qur'an, some of the ayat are clear-cut. 
There's no doubt, there's no ambiguity, clear meaning. Other ayat, when you read them, it's possible they might be ambiguous to you. You might think, does it mean this? Does it mean that? From your perspective, they are ambiguous to you and the meaning may not be clear to you. So that's what the scholars, they say. It's not the case that the Qur'an is confusing or doubtful or ambiguous. That's not the case. The Qur'an is clear. But it's the person when he reads it that maybe from his perspective, he considers some of the verses to be mutashabih. He doesn't understand them. They're ambiguous to him. So what do the people of innovation do? The muhkamat verses that are clear, cut in their meanings. They leave those aside. They go to the verses that are mutashabih. They are possibly to the reader ambiguous. When the reader looks at them, the person looks at them, they may be ambiguous to him. It could mean this, it could mean that. It could mean that, it could mean this. So they go to those types of verses and interpret them as they want to believe. And they tell the people, this is what it means. And that confuses the people because they are mutashabih. It's possible, maybe it could mean that, maybe it could mean this. So they use those types of verses put their interpretations onto them and give them to the people. What do you do in that situation? What is the methodology of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah when it comes to these verses that may be mutashabih? They might be, as far as you're concerned, ambiguous. Does it mean this or does it mean that? So how do we know what it means? Then, as the scholars have said, in order to understand what those, what may be ambiguous to you, those ayat. To understand them, you return them back to the muhkamat. Return those mutashabihat back to the muhkamat. The verses that may be ambiguous to you, return them back and put them into the context of the verses that are clear in their meanings. So when you do that, these ones that were maybe difficult for you to understand, once you put them into the context of the verses that are clear cut in their meanings, then these ones that were difficult to understand become apparent. And their meanings become clear. That is what you're supposed to do. But the people of innovation, they take those ones that may be confusing to them, or may be doubtful to, uh, in terms of their meaning, is it this or that, ambiguous, and they do not return them back to the clear verses. Instead, they keep them separate. They keep them separate, they choose a few from here and there, and they put their interpretations onto them. That is the methodology of the people of innovation, and that's how they go astray. And that's what's mentioned about them. Also, another factor, تَحْرِيفُهُمْ لِلْأَدِلَّةِ وَتَأْوِيلُهَا تَأْوِيلًا فَاسِدًا That the people of innovation, they will distort the evidences. And they will misinterpret the evidences. And give them their own interpretations. And that is common. And that is one of the greatest reasons for the deviation of the people of innovation. That when they read the ayat of the Qur'an, their minds are incapable of understanding the correct meanings because they are not following the methodology of the Salaf in understanding them. Instead, they think their intellects can understand these ayat, their intellects can tell them what the meanings are. So they base their religion upon what their intellect can tell them, what their interpretations can tell them. And that's what you see from some of these Sufis and some of these groups. The big Imam, they say, he understands everything. He has interpretations of this and that and he knows what's going on. And their Imams in reality are only giving them their own intellect. 
This ayah, it means this and it means that. This hadith, it means this and it means that. And they don't go back to see what the Prophet ﷺ said about it. They don't go back to see what the companion said about it. So therefore their interpretations are false. And because of that false interpretation, that incorrect interpretation of those ayat, of those ahadith, they fall into error. And that is something that happens significantly with them. So look at the names and attributes. The names and attributes of Allah. The people of innovation, they came and they fell into two main categories. You had one side of them, the mu'attila. They said, how can Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala possibly have these names and attributes? How can Allah have hands and eyes and face and these things that are mentioned in the Qur'an? Impossible. You would be comparing Allah to creation. Therefore they said, we will reject that Allah has these names and attributes. Mu'attila, false interpretation. Then you had the other side, the mushabbiha. They said, if Allah says in the Qur'an, He has hands and eyes and face, then that must mean they are like our hands and eyes and face. So they compared Allah to creation. And they went astray with their misinterpretation and false interpretation. Whereas Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah in the middle, they said, we affirm the names and attributes of Allah, but we do not compare Allah to creation. Because Allah has told us, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْبَصِيرُ there is nothing similar to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and yet He is the one who can hear and see. So Allah does have names and attributes, but they are not the same as the names and attributes of creation. So Ahl Sunnah were in the middle, but those individuals, they deviated with their understandings, with their false interpretations. And that is with lots of things in Iman, with regards to the decree, with regards to the companions, with many affairs. And it's only because of that intellect. They think they can give their intellect so much power that they go astray in those affairs with their false interpretations. So you have some of them, for example, with the hellfire and paradise. Some of them say, the people of innovation, that the hellfire and paradise, does it exist now or not? Some of the people of innovation, they say, the hellfire and paradise doesn't exist yet. They say it doesn't exist. They said, why? They use their intellect. They said, why does the hellfire and paradise need to exist now? Why does it need to exist now? We're only going to need the hellfire and paradise on the day of judgment. When the accountability has been done, and the people have been judged, then the good ones will go to paradise, the bad ones will go to the hellfire. That's when we're going to need the hellfire and paradise, when accountability is done. Now, why do we need it now? So they said, now it doesn't exist. Allah is going, going to create it afterwards. That was their intellect. That was their logic. Logic. They said, why do we need it now? The accountability hasn't happened. The day of judgment hasn't happened. We're only going to go into hellfire and paradise on the day of judgment. So Allah will create it then. False aqidah. False aqidah. They used their intellect and they came to this false aqidah. The correct aqidah is that the hellfire and paradise, they already exist. They are already there. They are already there and they already exist. How do we know that? Because we don't use our intellects. We look at the evidences from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us in the Qur'an that the hellfire has already been created and the paradise has already been created. How? Because Allah said that the fire u'iddat lil kafirin, and the paradise u'iddat lil muttaqeen. 
that the hellfire and the paradise, they have already been prepared. That's what it says in the Quran. They have already been prepared for the good doers and for the evil doers. So Allah tells us, they've already been prepared. So how can we say that they're not even prepared yet and they haven't even been made yet? They've already been prepared. The ayah says, "U'iddat past tense, fi'al madi, u'iddat lil muttaqin." Lam yaqul satu'ad or anything like that. They're going to be made. They've been made in the Quran. So we stick to the texts as they are. The methodology of the Salaf. The Quran says, "U'iddat past tense, fi'al madi." They have been made. They have already been prepared. So therefore, the Ahkida is they are already there and they exist. But the people of innovation, Uiddat, they've already been prepared. What do you mean they've already been prepared? The day of judgment hasn't happened yet. Accountability, the weighing scales, good deeds, bad deeds, your books, nothing's happened yet. Who's in paradise and hell now? So they said, no, Uiddat maybe has some other meaning, yeah, maybe some other interpretation. Paradise and hellfire is going to be made later. This is the difference. The people of innovation, that's what they do. They use their brains too much. More than what they should be using them for. As for Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, we look at the Quran, we look at the Sunnah, we look at the authentic evidences, and we understand them as the Salaf understood them. And we don't go beyond that. We don't say, yeah, but how? Why? That's why the scholars used to say, when it comes to the names and attributes of Allah, then there is one question which is not allowed for you to ask. And that is, Kayf, how? Allah has names and attributes, hands, eyes, face. How? What do you mean? What, what, how is the descriptions of Allah? What do you mean? How does Allah have eyes and face in these things? Haram. Don't ask this question. Allah tells us He has those descriptions. We believe Allah has those descriptions. We don't try to work out how. And what could Allah look like? You can never imagine what Allah looks like. So we don't go into that. Same, the scholars used to say, there's another question you cannot ask when it comes to the decree. When it comes to the decree of Allah, how things happen and the events that happen to you in your life, there's one question you're never allowed to ask, which is, why? You don't ever say why. It's not allowed to say why. Something bad happens to you, you say why, why? Why did it happen? It's not permissible. A Muslim should demonstrate his patience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Demonstrate his patience upon practicing the religion. So you don't be like these individuals, why me, why me, why did it happen to me? Why did this happen this way? You don't ask those types of questions and you don't make those types of comments. So, this is the difference. These are the differences between Ahlul Sunnah and Ahlul Bid'ah. Yaqul ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala wa bil jumla faftiraqu ahlul kitab wa aftiraqu hadhihi al-umma ala thalathin wa sab'ina firqa innama awjabahu al-ta'wil. Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah says generally then the splitting up of the people of the book and the splitting up of this nation, Al-Islam, into 73 sects, there's one factor which caused that, which necessitated that. And that is the interpretations. These false interpretations that the people they came to. These false intellectual interpretations. Because of those false interpretations, the people of innovation, they went astray. ويقول ابن بالعز الحنفي وهل خرجت الخوارج واعتزلت المعتزلة ورفضت الروافض وافترقت الأمة على ثلاث وسبعين فرقة إلا بالتأويل الفاسد ابن بالعز الحنفي says and do you think 
what other reason was there for the khawarij to go out against the believers? To make permissible their blood and their wealth. And why else did the Mu'tazila, they go upon what they went upon? And why is it the Rawafid, they went upon what they went upon? And why is it that this nation split up into 73 sects other than false interpretations? They're false and inaccurate and impermissible interpretations of the Qur'an and the Sunnah which led them astray. And all of that because they did not restrict their knowledge to the Qur'an and the Sunnah upon the understanding of the Salaf as it is. Instead they wanted to use their own intellects. The Imam, the Imam says it means this. The Shaykh says it means this. Their own Shaykh sat in the mosque somewhere who doesn't even pray. Because he believes that he's got to such a level, he doesn't have to pray anymore. And he says, the Shaykh says, that is not a Shaykh. Those types of people are not Shiyukh. Those types of people are Ulama. But which type? Ulama Su. They are the evil scholars. The scholars who are deviating people. Distorting people away from the truth. Some of the Sufis, they have a story about one of their Imams. They say he was so big and so powerful, this Imam. That at night, Allah used to take him to paradise. And he used to walk around in paradise and everything. And then he used to come back. So one of the people, they said, if every night he used to go to paradise, and then afterwards he would come back, why did he bother coming back? Why not just stay in paradise? So then they have no response to that. They say, no, he had to come back, and he had to look after his people and all these things and whatever else. So these are the types of stories they make. False, complete falsehood. Not based upon the Qur'an and the Sunnah in any way. So it's important for a person to recognize and realize what this correct and pure methodology is. When the Prophet ﷺ said, تَرَكْتُ فِيكُمْ شَيْئَيْنْ مَا إِنْ تَمَسَّكْتُمْ بِهِمَا لَنْ تَضِلُّوا كِتَابَ اللَّهِ وَسُنَّتِي These narrations have to be understood. That I've left two things behind. As long as you stick on to them, then you won't go astray. You'll be upon that straight methodology. That one path that leads to the pleasure of Allah in paradise. That is sticking to the Qur'an and the Sunnah properly. Understanding their meanings properly. Not wandering around aimlessly without knowledge, not knowing what to do. Because indeed there's a difference. There's a difference between somebody who has knowledge and somebody who doesn't have any knowledge. A person who has knowledge, he can worship Allah properly. He can be obedient to Allah in the proper way. An individual who doesn't have any knowledge, he doesn't know what he's doing, then his connection to Allah will be weak. And that's why Allah said in the Quran, Are they equal, the ones who have knowledge and the ones who do not have knowledge? Clearly the answer is, no. You can't say somebody who has knowledge is the same as somebody who doesn't have any knowledge. So that's a difference there. And that's why it's important for a person to learn this religion properly. To learn the methodology properly. To protect yourselves and your families from the fire. As Allah said, Protect yourselves and your families from the fire. That's only going to occur if you have knowledge. How else are you going to protect yourself? Protect yourself from shirk, protect yourself from bid'ah. Be following the Qur'an and the Sunnah as it should be followed properly. That's only going to happen through knowledge. And that's why it's so important, this issue of gaining knowledge. فَهَذَا الْمَنْهَجَ الَّذِي سَلَكَهُ أَهْلُ الْأَهْوَاءِ وَالْبِدَعَ مُخَالِفْ لِمَنْهَجِ أَهْلِ سُنَّةِ وَالْجَمَاعَةِ فِي النَّظَرُ وَالْإِسْتِدْلَالِ وَهُوَ مِنْ أَعْظَمِ عَوَامِلْ تَفَرُّقِ الْأُمَّةِ الْإِسْلَامِيَةِ So this methodology that the people of innovation they went upon and they tread upon, it is in opposition to the methodology of the Salaf, in terms of how they would look at the evidences and how they would derive the uh, proofs. Their method of extracting evidences 
was false. Their method of deriving, extracting, inferring evidences was wrong. Whereas Ahl Sunnah wa Jama'ah, they took those evidences in the proper way by taking them as they are upon the understanding of the Salaf. After that, the Shaykh says, طريق الخلاص والنجاح هو بالاتباع وترك الابتداع After having explained that this is the methodology of the Salaf, the Shaykh then moves on suitably to then mention what is the methodology to Savior. How do you rid yourself of that methodology, get rid of that methodology and save yourself? That is through al-ittiba' following the sunnah, the Qur'an, the sunnah as it should be followed, وَتَرْكِ الْإِبْتِدَاعِ And leaving off all types of innovation. This we mentioned briefly before, and we'll go into it now in a bit more detail. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he says in his book Al-Ubudiyya, وَجِمَاعُ الدِّينِ أَصْلَانِ أَلَّا نَعْبُدَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَلَا نَعْبُدُهُ إِلَّا بِمَا شَرَعَهِ Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he said that the whole of the religion, it comes together in two points. The whole of the religion, it comes together in two points. One, that we do not worship except Allah. We do not worship except Allah. The second, that we do not worship Him except in accordance to how He legislated. So one, the religion is all focused on two points. One, that you only worship Allah. But part two, that you only worship Allah how He told you to worship Him. There's no point somebody just taking one of those points and saying, okay, I'll worship only Allah, but I'll do it how I want. I'll do it however I want. I'll go and pray uh, five raka'at for dhuhr today because I've got spare time. I'm a bit busy, so I'll just pray two for asr and I'll, I'll, I'll pray six tomorrow instead. That type of thing isn't correct. There's no point in somebody saying, okay, I'll, I'll worship Allah only then. It's not enough. Worship Allah alone, and the second part that goes with it, only worship Allah alone, how He told you to worship Him. They are the two points that the religion goes around. And that's in the ayah of the Qur'an. فَمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُ لِقَاءَ رَبِّهِ فَلْيَعْمَلْ عَمَلًا صَالِحًا وَلَا يُشْرِكْ بِعِبَادَةِ رَبِّهِ أَحَدًا That whoever desires to meet his Lord, whoever desires to meet his Lord, whoever wishes to meet his Lord, then فَلْيَعْمَلْ عَمَلًا صَالِحًا Then he must do the righteous actions. وَلَا يُشْرِكْ بِعِبَادَةِ رَبِّهِ أَحَدًا And he must not associate any partners to Allah. So what does it mean that he must do righteous actions? Righteous, i.e. that they are in accordance to the sunnah. Do not associate any partners, i.e. sincerity. They are the two pillars of righteous actions, of accepted actions. That they are done with sincerity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they are done in accordance to the sunnah. So the shaykh says, Al-amal as-salih, ay, فَقَدْ أَمَرَ اللَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى فِي هَذِي الْآيَةِ أَنْ يَكُونَ الْعَمَلِ صَالِحًا ay, مُوَافِقًا لِلْسُنَّةِ ثُمَّ أَمَرَ أَنْ يُخْلِسَهُ صَاحِبَهُ لِلَّهِ So, it has to be in accordance to the sunnah and sincerely for the sake of Allah. قال الحافظ ابن كثير في تفسيره وَهَذَانِ رُكْنَاءَ الْعَمَلِ الْمُتَقَبَّلِ 
لا بد أن يكون خالصا لله صوابا على شريعة رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم الحافظ ابن كثير ابن كثير تفسير ابن كثير الحافظ ابن كثير he mentioned in that تفسير these two are the pillars of the accepted actions these two are the pillars of the obedience that will be accepted that it must be sincerely for the sake of Allah and it must be in accordance to the sunnah the sharia of uh, the messenger of Allah as Allah revealed it upon him وقد روى مثل هذا وقد روى مثل هذا وقد روي مثل هذا عن القاضي عياض رحمه الله وغيره عن القاضي عياض he has narrated something similar to this ومما تقدم يتبين أنه لا بد لصحة أي عمل نريد أن نتقرب به إلى الله من شرطين أساسيين ولا بد من وجودهما مجتمعين ولا ينفك أحدهما عن الآخر so it has become clear that for any action to be accurate and correct and good, any action that we want to get closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from, that it must be built upon two conditions, foundational conditions, and both of them must be present together. They do not split up. You cannot split these two up. And that is sincerity and following the sunnah. They must both be together in an action for it to be correct and accepted. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Qur'an, فَعْبُدِ اللَّهَ مُخْلِصًا لَهُ الدِّينَ Worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sincerely for him. Uh, also, وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ They were not commanded except to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sincerely for him. Similarly, فِي الْحَدِيثَ الْقُدْسِ الَّذِي يَرْوِيهِ عَنْ رَبِّهِ أَنَا أَغْنَى شُرَكَاءَ عَنِ شِرْكِ فَمَنْ عَمِلَ عَمَلًا أَشْرَكَ مَعِي فِيهِ غَيْرِي تَرَكْتُهُ وَشِرْكَهُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this hadith Qudsi that I am uh, free of all of these uh, participants and these partners that they make. Whoever does any action and makes any participation, gives that action to others besides me, then I will leave that person and I will leave his shirk. Abandon that person, abandon his shirk. So there is no place for shirk. There is no place for associating partners to Allah whatsoever. فَالْإِخْلَاسُ لَا يَتَأَتَّى مَعَ الشِّرْكِ أو الرياء أو إرادة الإنسان بعمله الدنيا ولا بد أن يكون العامل قد قصد بعمله وجه الله سبحانه وتعالى وحده. So sincerity, it is not possible for it to mix with shirk or for it to mix with showing off. Showing off, الرياء is a type of shirk. It's a type of shirk that a person does his actions for other than the sake of Allah. Or that a person does some actions, but really he wants some worldly benefits. He wants some worldly gain from those actions. And so a person must, must be intending sincerely for the sake of Allah with the actions that he does. That's the first principle. For the second principle, for the action to be correct and accepted, is that he is following the sunnah accurately and properly. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, اليوم أكملت لكم دينكم وأتممت عليكم نعمتي ورضيت لكم الإسلام دينا That on this day I have completed my religion upon you and perfected my blessing and uh, pleased with you as Islam for your religion. So that indicates the religion is completed and finished. And there is no space for anyone to bring about any new innovation. Rather everything is there and that is what must be followed. Similarly, وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوهُ وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُوهُ that which the Prophet ﷺ gives to you, then take it, and that which he warns against, then leave it. Similarly, 
لقد كان لكم في رسول الله أسوة حسنة لمن كان يرجو الله واليوم الآخر وذكر الله كثيرا that indeed in the Prophet is a good example for you for the one who desires the face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sincerely for the sake of Allah واليوم الآخر and the day of judgment he works and acts for the day of judgment وذكر الله كثيرا and that he remembers Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala plentifully similarly قل إن كنتم تحبون الله فاتبعوني يحببكم الله this is the ayah what the scholars have mentioned is the ayah of the examination the ayah of the test why do the scholars refer to this as the ayah of the true test قل إن كنتم تحبون الله say that indeed if you truly love Allah فاتبعوني then follow me because the people of innovation they claim that they love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they love the messenger of Allah and in fact they keep saying you Wahhabis, even though they keep making this term, this term that they have, you Wahhabis, Wahhabis. They say that. And they say, you Wahhabis, you don't even love the Messenger. You don't even love the Prophet Muhammad We, the Sufis and these other types of people, upon misguidance, they say, we love the Messenger of Allah. Look at us, we celebrate his birthday every year. We do the cakes and the food and the parties and walk on the streets and the parades. That's demonstrating our love of the Messenger. One person, he once even said, he said, look, the Christians, they love Isa salam so much, they celebrate his birthday every year, Christmas. So if they do that, surely we love Messenger Muhammad more than that. So we should do the birthday too. That's what some of them say. Logic and intellect again. Logic and intellect, not the Quran and the Sunnah. So when a person claims that he loves the Messenger of Allah, and he's doing these actions sincerely for the sake of Allah, because of his love of the Messenger, then there's a test to check if he is truly sincere in his statement that he's doing this for the love of the Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and the love of Allah, Azza wa Jal. That is this ayah. Because the ayah says, if you truly love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you truly love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then follow the Prophet The sign of a person loving Allah and loving the Messenger is how good and how well and how accurately he sticks to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. The more a person sticks to the Qur'an and the Sunnah, exactly what we've been told to do, then that shows his love for the Prophet and for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the more a person goes away from the Qur'an and the Sunnah, makes up his own events, makes up their own parties for the Prophet's birthday, the more they go away from what the companions used to do, what the Prophet himself used to do, the more they start to make up their own ways, of showing their love, then the more they are failing in showing their love. Because the true love of Allah and the Messenger is in following the Qur'an and the Sunnah, not making up your own ways to demonstrate your love. So that is why the scholars say this is the test, to check if someone is truthful that they love Allah and His Messenger, see how good and how closely they are following the Qur'an and the Sunnah. So when you look at these people now, they celebrate their birthday, the Prophet for example, they say we're doing it sincerely for the sake of Allah, we love the Messenger of Allah. Then you say to them, this is nonsense. You cannot say that you love Allah and His Messenger, and that's why you're doing this. If you loved Allah and His Messenger, you would do exactly as the Qur'an and the Sunnah tells you. And the Qur'an and the Sunnah tells you that there's no such celebration as the birthday of the Prophet The companions never did it. The Prophet himself never did it. They are not able to bring you a single evidence ever that the companions celebrated the birthday of the Prophet who loved the Prophet ﷺ the most? Us now, in the year 2012, 
of the of the uh, Christian calendar, 1433, or the companions, the likes of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, the likes of Umar ibn Khattab, Uthman ibn Affan, Ali ibn Abi Talib, radiyallahu anhum. Did they love the Prophet more, or do we claim we love the Prophet more? There's no doubt. The companions who were with the Prophet they bled for the Prophet they fought for the Prophet they loved him far more than we do. And yet they never celebrated the birthday, so what does that mean? Does that mean they were deficient? And they weren't clever enough to think of that, A'udhu Billah. A'udhu Billah to make that type of comment and to make that type of speech. And this is what the people they do. That's what they are indicating. When a person brings about some action that was not done by the Messenger of Allah وسلم, or the companions, then it is an accusation. It's an accusation that the religion isn't complete. When this person says, I know that the companions never used to celebrate their birthday, but it's a good action. And it brings closeness to Allah. That by default is saying that this person thinks he's cleverer than the companions or that he's thought of something the companions couldn't think of. He's thought of this idea of celebrating the birthday and that shows our love for the messenger. But the companions hadn't thought of that. That idea didn't occur to them. But it's occurred to us, so let's do it. That doesn't make sense. The companions love the messenger of Allah greater than any of us. And yet they didn't engage in these types of activities. So it's not possible for someone to say, but I'm only doing it sincerely for Allah. If you're doing these things sincerely for Allah, then do exactly as Allah and the Messenger have stated. And don't go beyond that making your own events and your own ideas and this looks nice and this looks good, so we should do this and we should do that. That is incorrect. So we'll conclude upon that point for now. Those two pillars, the pillar of sincerity and the pillar of following the sunnah. Actions can only be correct if both of them are there. If a person only has sincerity without following the sunnah, then he might go and end up praying five for Dhuhr today and say, I've got spare time. And tomorrow he prays three and says, I'll pray five afterwards the next day to make up. He might do all sorts then. He's not following the sunnah, even if he's being sincere. So it doesn't work. What if a person only follows the sunnah but isn't being sincere? Then he's showing off. If he's not being sincere, he's showing off. That doesn't work. So the only way for it to work is to be sincere and follow the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ perfectly and exactly and accurately as it came. And the one who does that, that is a sign for his love of Allah and the Messenger ﷺ. So we'll conclude upon that point now and we'll continue next week inshallah. Next week the lesson will be on straight after Maghrib again approximately 6pm. And we'll carry on then inshallah ta'ala.